love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebley and Toth. Hey, how are things up north? When you say up north, you mean in America? In the United States of America. We are also in America. It's just South America. Very South. We're in uh, we're in Ecuador. This is the first, uh, not bi-continental, but uh, bi... Inter... International. International. Although, no. Because we did one when you guys were in Spain. And uh, we actually did some recording when, when we were in Thailand, too. But I think that was for like a We a did commercial. some commercials, mm-hmm. I think. So it turns out this is not special at all. No, I'm sorry I even brought it up at this point. It's interesting because you guys look exactly the same as you did just a few days ago in Florida. You know, it's weird, though. South of the equator, uh, when I roll my eyes, they go the other way now. <laughs> It's weird. <laughs> that's uh, that's amazing. I've I've always yeah. heard that, but I thought it was just a rumor. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. In the Southern Hemisphere, those things happen. It's crazy down I here. flew to uh, Australia years ago on a job. Braggart. And the first mm-hmm. thing I did when I got into my hotel room was run to the bathroom and flush the toilet. Was it everything that you had imagined? Everything I had spent my lifetime dreaming of happened in one flush. It was just... <laughs> Beautiful to be old. It's a whole different thing when you say, hey, honey, come look at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I worked with a guy once. Well, so did Kat. His name was Matthew. And oftentimes you would see him bursting through the men's room door, coming out into the hallway, looking at his phone going, hey, everybody, come here. Look at this. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. no. Yeah. Really? And he was in upper management, which was weird. I don't know if this is a podcast safe or not either, but one time we did a uh, live remote. We were I was judging a arm wrestling competition, and <laughs> at the end of the evening, he had imbibed uh, more than his share, quite liberally. And mm, you're not you're not going to tell this story. I'm going to have to cut this out. And uh, we walked out of the <laughs> the bar into the parking lot, and he went, "It's 11:45. Why ain't no one seen my dick?" <laughs> And I was like, okay, um, we got to get you home. Did he mean AM or PM? (laughs) Because I could see if you worked morning, you know, 1145. That's pretty late. 
That's nighttime Way past for time. A, a morning, mm-hmm. a morning mm-hmm. crew. Anyway, that might not be podcasting. Yeah. My nephew in Flagstaff, his name is Rye, and he uh, heard a new f- phrase new to us that apparently uh, they use frequently in Australia. And when it's uh, when somebody says, you know, did you come here to fill in the blank? The sarcastic response is, well, I didn't come here to f- spiders, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> did you learn that while you were doing your toilet flush experiment? Sadly, no. those, those experiences are decades apart. But that would have been great if somebody called on the phone as I was flushing the toilet and said, so are you flushing the toilet? And I could have said, well, I didn't come here to f- spiders. <laughs> Okay, so you go first this week. Do I? Okay. Okay. Mm, I believe so. My story for the week takes place in Georgia, specifically DeKalb County and the town of Ellenwood, Georgia. That's about 20 miles southeast of Atlanta. And this event took place actually only two months ago. Our, I wouldn't call him a hero. Our protagonist (laughs) is a gentleman named Vincent Simon. And actually, I wouldn't call him a gentleman. Vincent is not a nice man, you two. Ah, he's just, okay. he's not a nice, he's not a nice guy. He has a, a lengthy criminal history and his experiences, shall we say, tend to, uh, well, he's got a rap sheet that includes things like, oh, say, guns and drugs and theft convictions and He's just, he's not exactly Eagle Scout material. Then you have people in the world, like uh, a stand-up, patriotic, hard-working woman named Dahlia Dure. Dahlia Dure is actually a lieutenant colonel. For the Royal Mounted Canadian Police? <laughs> no. She's active duty. Dudley Do-Right? She's an active duty officer in the Army Reserves, which means that she's serving and protecting this country. And even though Dahlia's home is in Ellenwood, Georgia, when our story takes place, she's on active duty in the Chicago area. Now, Dahlia, God bless her, is on the verge of retiring. Good for her, right? She expressed her plans for the future, saying, quote, I thought I would sell my house and go hang with my grandkids which I love. So she lists her home with a realtor and it's, it's actually on Zillow. It's a, it's a beautiful home. It's, it's massive. It's 4,300 square feet. It's five bed, five bath valued at around $495,000. So just shy of half a million bucks. Now, in fact, even before listing her home, Dahlia had been renting it out, and she had even put in an estimated $35,000 in renovation. She wanted this thing to look really nice to a potential buyer. You guys know what that's that's like. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a pain in the ass. (laughs) It's a pain in the ass, but at least it's expensive, too. So you got that that double whammy going for you. So Dahlia's real estate agent was making final preparations for the sale of this home. But before she could embark... Dahlia could embark on her retirement plans, an unexpected obstacle stood in her way. That would be someone else's belongings filling her home. Now, before Mm -hmm. I go on, and I think you can see where this is headed because you two are fairly fairly bright, uh, (laughs) is a little background on a thing called squatter's rights. Mm. And what I didn't know until researching this story is, is that 
the concept of squatter's rights actually goes all the way back to the Roman Empire. Did you know that? Wow. No, I had no idea. Mm-mm. Way back then, centuries ago, if somebody maintained possession of an item or property without legal title, they could become the lawful owner, so the Roman courts said, if the original owner didn't show up to take possession within a certain period of time, whatever that was. And that became actually pretty common. I feel like I'm doing a Box of Oddities episode now. (laughs) And Napoleonic law then carried this practice into Europe. Britain adopted it as part of their law. So when the American colonists left Britain for freedom here in America, they brought with them the concept of squatter's rights. And it's actually now seen as a, as a civil issue. And, and laws, believe it or not, can be kind of confusing because squatting is a colloquial term for occupying a property without the owner's permission. And today's politically sensitive climate, we've decided, whoever we are, that squatter's rights is not a very politically sensitive term. Sure. Yeah. So we, we now say adverse possession. <laughs> Can you believe yeah, that? That's crazy. Wow. I resent, uh, resent you calling me a squatter. I am here with adverse possession of this, <laughs> of this house. So one day, Dahlia, our, our real hero, gets a call from her realtor and something is up with Dahlia's house. And as you <clears throat> have already uh, inferred, there's all kinds of furniture inside her house. And according to police, this man has been living there for uh, quite, quite a while. So they knock on the door because the realtor has asked them, hey, can, can you go ask this guy what's going on? And Vincent, the gentleman I mentioned before, and Mr. Not the Eagle Scout material right. guy, answers the door and says, how can I help you kind law enforcement officers who protect and serve us so well? I'm, I'm making that part up. I, I don't know exactly how he greeted them, but, but I'm guessing a guy with that kind of rap sheet is probably not going to be too, too kind to the cops. So the cops explain, yeah, this house is about to be listed for sale by the owner, and we're just kind of curious how you got inside. And Mr. Simon says, oh, there, there must be some mistake. See, I've, I've leased this place for half a year. And the cops say, what? And the guy says, yeah, I, I, I prepaid the lease for six months Cost me $19,000. Well, do you have a copy of the lease? Yeah, let me go get the lease. So he does. And they look at it and they call Dahlia, our rightful owner, and they say, well, he's got a lease for six months. So Dahlia says, did you call the phone number by chance on the lease to see who leased my home (laughs) to a stranger for half a year? And the police said, oh, you know, that's a good idea. And they do. And of course, the number's no good. It's a fake. But unbelievably, the cops say to Dahlia, look, there's really nothing we can do here. You're going to have to take him to court. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Can you freaking believe that? This is really triggering for us, Lens. (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I should have actually... Halfway through the story, it only now occurs to me, this probably wasn't the best story choice for me to use this week. (laughs) As we are officially homeless? No. (laughs) Homeless between homes. 
couple of squatters in a hotel is what you two losers are. <laughs> I prefer adverse possession. You two adverse possessors, you. Well, uh, no surprise. Dahlia says, you know, screw this. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to, I'm going to go back there and figure this out. So she actually flies back home to Atlanta. She knocks on her own door and Vincent Simon won't even talk to her, just tells her to leave. So she calls the police. And again, they say, sorry, this is a civil matter. They told Dahlia she was going to need to go through a judicial eviction process, which can take months. That's so kooky. And now she's really upset, confused. And, you know, who wouldn't be? So she actually comes up. I love this woman so much. She comes up with her own eviction papers and ser- serves uh, Vincent in her house the eviction papers, but he won't even he won't even take them. He just ignores them. Now, since the police have told her there is nothing that they can do, she very wisely goes to a local TV station, WSB TV in Atlanta, and says, "I think I got a story for you." And thankfully, the station sends a crew out to do a piece on this story. Now, backing up just a bit, in the weeks that Vincent Simon has been in Dahlia's house, he has been busy. Oh, no. Was he remodeling? Well, let's call it redecorating. He, uh, he installed security cameras because <laughs> I guess... If you're into adverse possession, you know, you want to make sure that the house you're squatting in is safe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you, you don't want any squatters. You better put up some security cameras. Exactly. Or adverse possessors. He's put up beware of dog signs. He's covered the windows with cardboard. That's not at all suspicious, is Sexy. it? Sexy. And he's, and he's, <laughs> he's moved a hefty amount of his own personal shit into her house, including a gun safe, two dogs... I like that part, but I'm wondering if they were, you know, house trained. Dressers, coffee tables, furniture, all kind of all kinds of stuff. And Dahlia herself said later he had stuff in every single room of my house. He had some huge TVs. I mean, 85, 90 inch TVs. Oh my God, the man loves him some television, I guess. So no one could figure out how he even a got those keys and got into the home he even put a new lock box with a keypad on the door oh my god but law enforcement still couldn't figure out how he got the keys in the first place but praise be to god the story airs on wsb tv in atlanta and that changes everything because now all the citizens in the greater metro atlanta area who are watching tv are pissed off at this guy <laughs> and They are on Dahlia's side, like we all would be, right? So she finds, because, you know, you can't get the cops to do it for you. She actually does research and she finds this obscure landlord-tenant law called Georgia Title 44. And she is able, once this, this story airs, to get enough publicity that the police... Wouldn't help her, but the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office actually calls her and says, you know what? This sucks. We're on your side. We're going to help you with this. Amazing. Yeah. Give it up for the DeKalb County 
uh, sheriff's office. So they, the the deputies, marshals knock on the door and <laughs> Vince Simon opens the door with that kind of, what the F are you going to do about it? <laughs> and Dahlia hands him these eviction papers. So Vincent realizes, okay, the jig, the jig is up. Now, Dahlia goes into her house, her own house, and says to Vincent, get your shit the hell out of my house. <laughs> and he's looking at her and these deputies, because she's invited deputies into her house to look around. And Vincent, sure enough, starts lifting stuff up and carrying it out and setting it down in the driveway. Now, obviously, it's her house. She can invite law enforcement in to make sure that, you know, that she's safe. And his, Vince's, personal items are starting to, to stack up <laughs> in the driveway. He's got couches. He's got lamps. He's got safes. He's got those TVs. And it's, it's this pile is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And as he is, is carrying his stuff out of her house, WSB TV that had done the story on this whole thing that got the sheriffs there to help her does an interview with Dahlia and she says, if it wasn't for Channel 2 and Justin Gray, who was the investigative reporter, I wouldn't be here today, and I am truly grateful to them. And as she's doing this interview, in the background, there's Vincent, very disgruntled, carrying his stuff with, you know, an angry expression like, I can't believe I'm being kicked out of somebody's house. <laughs> well... Here is here is the beautiful twist and and the shallow end payoff. In the process of walking around the house with Dahlia, the sheriff finds uh, both a gun and drugs Gasp. in the house. No, everyone acts surprised. How could that possibly be, Vincent? But because they know who he is and they have you know run a check on him and see that he is a convicted felon and what they call a prohibited possessor, ah. that gun alone is illegal as hell. Mm -hmm. So now, and, and they actually wait until all of his stuff is out of the house, he's not only out of the house, he's into a pair of shiny handcuffs <laughs> and the comfy backseat of a squad car. So just to clarify, you're saying that he was a he was an adverse possessor, prohibited Possessor. Yes. Yeah. He's a double whammy. Oh, wow. <laughs> he loves him some possessors. <laughs> That's what it is. Now, unfortunately, uh, and, and I didn't stop to think about this, it's not entirely a happy ending. Dahlia at this point had actually gotten an offer from a prospective buyer to buy her home. But when that TV package aired and this buyer realized, oh my God, that's the house I wanted to buy. The buyer got, you know, yeah. scared, right. got cold feet and said, I'm, I'm pulling out. And, you know, so that's, that's sad. But uh, as of yesterday, the house was, was still on the market and it's beautiful. And I'm convinced that she's going to find a buyer. Uh if I was looking to to move to the Atlanta area, I would buy this house in a heartbeat. It's gorgeous. What uh, what happened to the dogs? <laughs> <laughs> this is why it's so good 
to, for you to be in on these on these <laughs> sessions, Cat, because every time it's just JG and and I bring up an animal, I have to say, and of course, if Cat were here, she would say, <laughs> "Cut to the chase. What happened to the yeah, dog?" That's true. That's true. You know that that is uh, that's poetic justice. I I love that. The only thing that could have made that story better was would be if uh, the WSB news team's uh, van backed over his stuff on their way out of the driveway. <laughs> Ran over them TVs. Them TVs is garbage now. Yeah. So Dahlia, God bless her, says, I came here with a mission in mind to get him out of my house and put him in jail where he belongs. And uh, a DeKalb County Sheriff's major named Manuel Sanchez said, quote, it feels good when you can return the home back to the home. Oh, that's nice. Nicely done, DeKalb County Sheriff's now, Office. Quick question. Where uh, Vince there ended up going to jail, all of his things, did they then belong to Dahlia? Did he just prepare a yard sale for her? That's what I would have done. <laughs> or even worse... I just put a, put a big sign on it that said free. Yeah, right. Have people just come and, oh, that's too bad, Vince. Somebody stole your shit. Weird. <laughs> How's it feel, huh? That's uh, too bad. I know in in our home state, uh, at least when, when Kat and I had a rental property, if tenants leave their shit in your house, uh, once they've been evicted, they have uh, 30 days to gather it up or it's yours. Wow. That's um that's pretty uh that's pretty that sounds very fair. Yeah, yeah. it never quite made up for the no. the money that we didn't get paid though. No, so. No. <laughs> I got a free jacket yeah. and a uh Bowflex once. <laughs> Let me guess, it was like a lime green members only <laughs> jacket from yep. 1982. Yep. With beige piping. <laughs> You know what would look very good with that? What? White Sperry boots. Oh, yes. <laughs> I got my story from ValerieGuardian.com, WSB TV in Atlanta, The Daily Mirror, The New York Post, and FNC. You know, JG, this is the time of year where people start planning family reunions for the summer. In fact, I have one coming up in June, and I'm absolutely convinced that these cousins that I haven't seen for a while are finally going to tell me, yeah, I listened to your podcast I don't think you guys are very good. I didn't laugh. Well, humor is subjective. So while you may have to grin and bear with your family, you shouldn't feel that way when you're talking to your doctor about, I don't know, that you maybe eat pizza one too many times a week, something like that. Well, enter ZocDoc. That's the place where you can find a book doctors will make you feel comfortable and actually listen to you. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about tens of thousands of doctors. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Look, people love this app and this website. Next time I'm looking for a doctor, this is definitely what I'm going to use. Go to ZocDoc.com TSE and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash T-S-E. ZocDoc.com slash T-S-E. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Summer heat can be relentless, and being outdoors means you need hats that protect your skin from the sun's harmful rays. But most hats simply don't hold up over time until now. Introducing the Stone Hat Company. Our hats are made exclusively of heavy stone and rock. And while it may take some getting used to, the Stone Hat offers so much more than regular hats because they act as real protection from falling objects like space debris, airplane parts, and big chunks of hail. Our most popular hat for men is the Granite Fedora. It weighs 43 pounds and it offers superior sun protection. You've never felt anything like it. Many women choose our quartz sun hat. It's wide brim and attractive floral band mean total shade for every hour you can stand it. Weighing in at only 39 pounds, most women swear they wouldn't ever go back to linen or straw. The Stone Hat Company is not responsible for any head, neck, or back injuries sustained from wearing our hats. Stone hats should not be worn by people with sensitive skin or weak skeletal systems. Wear stone hats at your own risk. It's made of heavy rock. The Stone Hat Company. Protection from the summer sun and anything else that falls from the sky. Email. Oh, I love that. That's our new email jingle. Yeah, it's short, but to the point. The mark of a good jingle is conciseness. Email. (laughs) For those of you just joining us, that's our brand new email jingle. What do you think? Mm. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Lifeguard at (laughs) shallowendpodcast.com. I can't believe how much I love that jingle. <laughs> this is from a listener named Redhead Girl, and she spells girl G U R R L, which is just sexier than sin. <laughs> Redhead Girl. You guys, I have to share these experiences I've had with clogged toilets. This is following the email we had earlier. I will not be using my real name as I've turned some friends onto this podcast, and I do not, all caps, want them to know it's me. One. I was living with a boyfriend in my early 20s, <laughs> having major poop smell shame. The master bedroom bathroom was a stressful place for me. One night, I had to poop. He was going to hear and smell it, and I just knew it. I made an excuse to go downstairs. I grabbed a plastic grocery bag and some toilet paper and went in a backyard corner and pooped in the bag. No, no. I left it outside our back gate in an alley, hoping someone would assume it was dog poop that somebody rudely left there. Huge relief. I'd held it in for hours. He was none the wiser. I hope. Number two, had a special (laughs) sleepover planned with a beautiful friend in her home and was hoping it would result in romance. I had to poop. Damn. I used the bathroom, clogged it. Nothing in there to fix it. By the way, JG hadn't thought of that brilliant towel rack move. Close parentheses. So I just had to shove my arm in and unclog. No, please, no. OMG. I totally sterilized my arm with the hottest water and tons of soap. Unfortunately, I was in there long enough to lose the mood I was trying to establish. It was a movie and popcorn instead side. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait for you guys to do some fart stories. Get a couple of those also. You guys are great. You make my workout a bit more bearable. I'm starting to think that maybe Redhead Girl has some romance-related indigestion issues. I think there might be something going on. When I played on the basketball team, we called it the pregame shits. Mm Mm-hmm. 
as my understanding goes, that's a very common thing among athletes, that almost a superstition that you've got to do that before a game to, to be at peak performance. Well, it's just hard to drain a three with searing abdominal cramps. <laughs> you said drain. <laughs> By the way, this is not a uh, this is not really a story. But if you remember on episode fifty eight, we talked about a JG's story about the skydiver with the cats. Yes, and and we talked about um, a a cluster of cats, and we got a couple emails. One say actually both of them said it's not actually a uh, cluster, Lindsay, you jerk. <laughs> It's a clouder. A clouder. C-L-O-W-D-E-R. A clouder of cats. A clouder of cats. The lifeguard very, very kindly wrote back uh, Jeff and said, many thanks for writing us. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. This is the site Lindsay used to get that info, but thank you. So noted and sent the website address where I came up with um, that, uh, that expression. And then uh, uh, an Amazon link to James Lipton's book, where he, it's just a, a collection of what you call multitudes of, of those animals. Jeff, to his credit, wrote back seemingly about five seconds after getting the lifeguard's email saying, looks like I should do a little more research before I send out a critique of other people's work. Duly <laughs> noted. Thank you for the quick response and the links. I'm going to add that book to my collection. What a very cool response, Jeff, because yeah. I would have yeah. been like, no, you suck. Your website's wrong. Your website's <laughs> stupid. You got a stupid website. But Jeff was, uh, Jeff was all man there and said, duly noted. I love it. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Always feel free to send us anything you'd like. At least an email form. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're in the shallow end with Schnapply and Talk. JG, I believe, unless Kat, you have a story, I believe, JG, it's your turn. Well, this is a story actually that Kat came up with. Yeah, now I'm starting to think, are 
Are you and I interchangeable on this show? I don't know. (laughs) Could be. No, JG. No problem. We got a cat. Fits right in. (laughs) All right. Here's a story for you. It's ongoing. So the story is developing. The vast mansion overlooking the vibrant New York City skyline was more than just a place to live for a man named Grant Haber. It was a trophy, a symbol of his successful career as the founder of American Innovations. Now, this is a company that deals with munitions and IED detection kits. So it's a pretty big, sophisticated technological company. But there was always, even though he was successful, there was always something that gnawed at this man. Gnawed, you say? Ticks? Not ticks. No, he had a kit for that too. A missing detail in his perfectly curated masterpiece of his home, which was the view. The view from his home was blocked by a cluster of trees on his neighbor's property. It's a clouder. Haber's... Panorama of the iconic New York City skyline was compromised. And uh, this was, you know, the sky. If you have a skyline view of New York City, you've got something. Your property's worth something. That's a big deal. Now, he lived in a neighborhood where permits were necessary to alter any of nature's layout. This was more than just a small annoyance. This was something that was an obstruction, a blemish on his million-dollar view, at least in his mind. So Haber made a choice. It was a decision that would ultimately initiate a cascading series of events that he could never have possibly anticipated. Does it involve skydiving cats? Not in this case, although it might, okay. that might have worked out better for him than this. Haber was no stranger to the high-stakes world of business and risk. As the founder of his, his company, American Innovations, he was used to analyzing situations, assessing potential gains and losses, running the numbers, if you will, taking calculated risks. This mindset was likely at play in his approach to this uh, tree versus view issue. (laughs) Okay. Haber, as a resident in an area where permits, again, were required to remove trees, must have known the local regulations. It's probable that he had explored legal avenues to remove the trees that were obstructing his view and learned about the fine for unauthorized tree removal. Uh, he, he may have even consulted with an attorney who would have informed him about the penalties for noncompliance. Haber likely made a calculated decision. He weighed the cost of the fine against the potential enhancement of his property value and quality of his life from an unobstructed view of the New York City skyline. There were 32 trees, Linz. The fine is $1,000 a tree. Now, with his net worth... He's a multimillionaire. A $32,000 fine might have seemed like a pretty good deal. A small price to pay for the significant personal and financial gains that he anticipated. I can't imagine how much his property value would have improved if he could have resold it with a listing saying, beautiful New York City skyline view. This reminds me of when Nancy and I were newly married and looking for a house in the greater Burbank, Pasadena area. And the very first house our realtor showed us, she said, I don't think you're going to much like this, but I just want you to see what's out there in your price range. So she hands us the sheet 
you know, the, the property description sheet. And down at the bottom, uh, in parentheses, it says, across the street from a cemetery, but headstones not visible. <laughs> like a selling, like a selling point, and I thought, oh well, okay. I guess we could look at the house. <laughs> See, that would be a plus mm-hmm. for for Cat and I. Yeah, I'd we've like actually her, yeah. looked for homes that are near or actually in cemeteries or on old burial grounds. Very Cat and JG. <laughs> so it was a chilly February morning, as frost sparkled on the ground and the sun began to rise. Oh, so poetic! I like how you're doing this. Tell us another story, J.G. (laughs) Grant Haber placed a call. His voice was steady. His instructions were precise. He explained his predicament, the obstructed view, and uh, detailed his solution. The men that he reached out to were not strangers to hard labor. Uh, They were toughened by the years of physical work. Their bodies glistening in the sunlight as the sweat... No, I'm sorry. I was... Go on. Go back to their bodies. (laughs) Glistening, you said? Yeah. <laughs> Their tools, formidable. You said tool. And well-maintained, they bore the scars of countless previous jobs. Oh, this is beautiful. Chainsaws. Do go on. Their teeth sharp and hungry. Yes, yes. Waiting to bite into the back <laughs> of the <laughs> tree barricade. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I'm that exhausted. Was, I like my tree stories a little rough, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's from a book I once read called Nympho in the Forest. Anyway, (laughs) speculation is that under the pretense of a typical work order, Haber arranged a time and a place. He he took care not to reveal too much, maintaining this, you know, aura of plausible deniability. A facade, if you will. He ensured that there was a veil of obscurity shrouding his involvement he was uh, he was just a guy, a customer, a man needing a service. No big deal. The objective... Looking for some trees to be trimmed. Just got to clear the area. Right? We've all been there. His reasons were not discussed, nor did the workers have any reason to ask. Of course. One can imagine Haber watching from the comfort of his mansion as the workers arrived, their trucks heavy with equipment, their faces shadowed by the early morning light. Glistening! Perhaps... <laughs> He felt a twinge of anticipation or anxiety. And then he watches them disappear into the cluster of trees. I'm picturing him in one of those silk brocade kind of bathrobes Mm. with a saucer of coffee. Mm -hmm. Smoking a pipe. Haber, throughout all of this, maintained his distance. They're down there. They're cutting the trees down. Um, If he was asked by neighbors or an innocent bystander what was going on, he just acted as surprised as any of the uh, neighbors would be by the sudden activity. I don't know what this is all about. So weird. Those men are doing what to my trees? I, I have no idea. Who could possibly have done this? Here's the thing, though. Those weren't his trees. Oh... Oopsie. Yeah, Haber's plan was a bit flawed. As the echoing hum of chainsaws rang out through the neighborhood, it's it's pretty difficult to ignore, particularly for a man named Sama Shinwei, who was the rightful owner of the land and the trees. Okay, so Mr. Shinwei lives uh, on property adjacent yes. yeah. to yeah. slightly below. Okay. Oh, boy. So he hears this noise, and he wanders down to see what's going on, and he discovers the unauthorized loggers on his property. 
This would have been the 27th of February this this year, this past oh, really? February. Yeah. He oh, was, wow. Okay. He was stunned to see that his beautiful park-like surroundings had been reduced to sawdust and shards of bark. Oh, my God. Wow. His heart must have been pounding at his, in his chest as he looked at the devastation. Trees that were once mighty and strong were now falling one after another. Each thought of a oh, toppled God. tree was a blow, a violation of the sanctuary oh. he had nurtured and cherished. Fragments of bark and clouds of sawdust filling the air, creating what I like to call, Lynn's, a haunting snowfall. Do they, do they say how he was dressed, J.G.? He was wearing really tight neon shorts and a tank top. And white Sperry boots. That's how I picture it. So for Shinwei, this wasn't just a visual shock, but it was an emotional one. Those were more than just trees. They were living, breathing parts of his property and his home. They were symbols of the respect that he had for nature. And to see them cut down and reduced to lifeless timber was more than he could bear. Man, can you imagine? Haber, on being confronted by this, by the rifle owner, acted surprised and feigned ignorance. The workers were very quick to point out that it was Haber that uh, that ordered the uh, the cut. But Haber maintained this aloof demeanor. Uh, he was acting as bewildered as anybody. I don't know. It's I, I have no idea who's responsible for this. But determining his responsibility for the unauthorized tree felling involved piecing together a puzzle, various pieces. First, it was the testimony of Shinwei, the landowner, and, and the witness. Shinwei's account of finding the team of workers on his property, coupled with the immediate naming of Haber as their employer. That's kind of going to do it. Yeah, That'll it, do it. it would. It, that provided the uh, initial impetus to consider Haber as the instigator. Do they talk about how the tree crew, the tree trimmers, got onto Shinwei's property to do this? I guess there wasn't a fence or something. No, there was no fence. There was no road. They just, uh, they drove their equipment down there and just started, you know, over his lawn, I guess, and just started cutting stuff down. Wow. Okay. Also adding to uh, suspicion, Haber's reaction to the event uh, that further implicated him, his initial denial and the vague, oh, this was just kind of a mix-up when it was discovered that he had ordered it. He's, oh, I don't know, it was a mistake. He also had a very nonchalant attitude about it. The landscape ex- itself also provided some pretty damning evidence. The trees, of course, cut down. They happened to be those obstructing Haber's view. So he was the one with the motive. So you sure. put all these things together. And uh, the borough forester, John Linson, was able to confirm, in his mind anyway, Haber's involvement leading to the issues of fines and a scheduled court hearing. His attorney has requested more time to review this case. Haber finds himself not basking in the glory of his panoramic view, but shrouded in a shadow of impending court hearings. Now, here's the irony of it all. It's almost Shakespearean in its scope. Haber, a successful businessman, allegedly calculated that a $32,000 fine was a price worth paying to gain an unhindered view of the New York City skyline from his mansion. He likely weighed the financial penalty against the potential increase in property value and the personal satisfaction derived from this panoramic vista. Mm -hmm. The fine, in comparison to his wealth, 
was reasonable in his mind, a drop in the ocean. However, his calculations did not account for several key variables. First, he vastly underestimated the tenacity of his neighbor who wouldn't simply let the unpermitted uh, felling of trees go unanswered. Shinwei's prompt response and determination to see justice turned Haber's straightforward calculation into a completely multifaceted problem. He did not factor in the stringent environmental regulations. Aha! Mm-hmm. So, if proven guilty, he would be tasked with creating a road. He'd have to build and pay for a road to the once inaccessible area. He would also be responsible for managing invasive species. He would have to add soil. He would have to remove the debris left in the wake of his felling of trees. Then he would need to replant 32 new large trees and guarantee their survival for two full growing seasons. Holy cow. In essence, he neglected to consider the intricate web of cause and effect within the local ecosystem and community. And finally, he failed to foresee uh, the court of public opinion. People are already, they hate him on social media. I can only imagine. So what started out as a simple cost benefits analysis, 32,000 fine versus an, an enhanced view, it snowballed into a daunting ordeal with potential costs surmounting at this point already an estimated $1.9 million in counting. Oh, good night, everybody. <laughs> wow. This, and you know, I would think in addition to all that, he still could be looking at a civil suit from Shinwei yeah. for damage to his property, emotional distress. I mean... The whole thing. Yeah. God. Wow. Unpermitted occupancy. Squatter's rights. Adverse possession. Mm. Right. Yeah. Why can't I remember Mm. that term? I can't either. Anyway. Just say squatters. So the irony lies in the fact that his pursuit of an unobstructed view has now mired him in a tangled legal, financial, and social mess, far exceeding the fine that he was initially willing to pay. And um, my sources for this story, The Mirror, The Daily Mail, and the New York Post. Great, great story. It's surprising to me that somebody that successful, um, that well off, presumably from business savvy, you know, and intelligent decisions would think, uh, it's just a thousand dollars a tree, 32K. There couldn't possibly be any, anything else that might come as a result of of Mm. my action. That's amazing. So it's uh, going to be interesting to follow the story and see where it ends up. Great story, JG. Let that be a lesson to all you youngins out there with chainsaws and an appetite for destruction. Don't do it. (laughs) Unless you're pretty sure you can get away with it. Yeah, in which case, you know. Have at it. You didn't hear it from us. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. We do appreciate the company, and we look forward to continuing this relationship in the not-too-distant future. It'll be curious to see where you guys are the next time we record. But it still won't be America. It won't be the Guayaquil Sheraton. We're still in America. (laughs) North America. My bad. (laughs) Traitor. Remember to make good choices. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast. Give these boys a five-star rating and think of something nice to say. 
even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, gotta go. <laughs>